You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. I'm Jeff Weiss. I get to be the missions pastor here at Bethel, and I'm uh, excited to be able to share with you this morning. In our summer series on the pursuit of wisdom, you know, I, I think what uh, we're trying to say as a church is that we need wisdom. We need more wisdom. So you may remember in June, we spent um, that month in Proverbs, and then in July, now we've been in Psalms all month. And, you know, one of the definitions of wisdom that I really like is seeing the way God sees. Wisdom is seeing the way God sees. So the things in our life, the people in our life, seeing ourselves, the circumstances in our world, seeing them the way God sees them. You know, I think wisdom is something that we all need every day. We, um, we pray for it. We seek it in his word. And so this morning we're going to look at uh, one of the aspects uh, of wisdom, and that is um, God's heart. Okay. And so I remember a point, uh, I guess when I was probably in high school, that was maybe my sophomore year, 10th uh, grader in high school, and I was, uh, it must have been a Saturday afternoon because I was alone uh, in my room, by myself, it was quiet, and I had a, a moment, I think the Holy Spirit must have given me some 10th grade uh, wisdom, and logic was starting to put together a few sequences in my brain, and it dawned on me uh, by the Holy Spirit that God knows everything. I mean, it wasn't a new thing, but it hit me in such a way that I realized God knows every single thing. There's not, he knows the answer to every single question. He knows, he knows every single question. There's nothing that he doesn't know. He knows me intimately. He knows what makes me tick, what I like, what I don't like. God knows everything. That was the first thing that hit me. The second thing was, God can do anything. He is all-powerful. He can do anything that I can imagine. God is able. He is mighty. He is powerful. There's nothing that's even difficult for God. So, God knows everything. God could do everything. And the third thing that hit me, it amazed me, is that God loved me. He loves me. He loves me. He's a good father. He likes to give things for me that are for my good. So, in my 10th grade brain, I was probably thinking about those major things like grades or girls, sports. Probably 10th grade, I was really worried about getting my driver's license and the car that I would drive. And somehow, the Holy Spirit allowed me to realize that because God knows everything and he knows me and he's powerful, able to do anything, and that he loves me, I don't have anything to worry about. 
and that kind of swept over me, and it, it, it was an awesome thing. I think it probably was the first time that I worshipped God alone, by myself, in my room, sitting there on a quiet Saturday afternoon. I, I was blown away. I was in awe. I worshipped God. That's why I love Todd when he talks about worship around Bethel. It's both adoration and acknowledgement. But for me, that was an adoration moment. I felt it. I was, I was amazed at who God is. And at that moment, I, I worshipped him. I realized he is worthy of all my worship. He is worthy of all praise, all glory. He is worth everything. And not just me, but he's worth the praise of my whole family. He's worth the praise of all of Texas, as big as we are. He's, he's worthy of praise from the whole world. He is worth it. And that worship, that adoration, it blew me away. He is worth it. So this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 67. So if you have your Bible uh, or your phone or however, flip over to Psalm 67. And with me, we're going to look at this worship um, psalm. So I'm going to read, start reading. You can follow along. And verse 1, May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Well, most commentators say this psalm fits in a group of psalms that they're harvest psalms. They're songs. It's really a prayer that could have happened at harvest each year, thanking God for his blessing and, and asking him for future blessing. And each year it could have been sung in the Feast of Tabernacles as they were bringing in their offerings this Thanksgiving. But it doesn't say that specifically anywhere here in the psalm. What we do see specifically is the psalmist had a bigger picture in mind. He had a global picture. He had a picture that included all peoples and all nations. Well, this is something that we can be a part of. But oftentimes when we look at Scripture, we miss the forest for the trees. We have a tendency to look deeply. It's good, but we look deeply word by word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, looking so closely at Scripture. It's necessary for Bible study. If we're feeling especially spiritual, we may decide to read a whole book at one sitting as long as it's a short book, right? It has to be one of the epistles or maybe a minor prophet, something we can do that doesn't take too long. But when we get into Scripture at that level of detail, sometimes, oftentimes, we miss the big picture. Add to that the culture that we live in, this consumer culture that says, what's in it for me? So when we go to Scripture, we're always looking for, uh, what is God going to show me? What can I get out of it? Maybe I can get a little boost of encouragement or some insight, some wisdom. 
So when you take the way we approach Scripture as what's in it for me, and you add to that our micro look, verse by verse, sometimes we miss the big picture. That's the forest for the trees. Now, that's an idiom, and I've been made aware of recently, just a few weeks ago, that we need to be careful with idioms. Um, so two weeks ago, we were in uh, Barcelona, Spain, on a Bethel mission trip. We uh, took a team and went over to uh, work with our church planter there in Barcelona. Our church planter, Chavi Memba, you may remember he was here uh, three months ago, maybe in the late spring. He was up here. I introduced him to you. We talked and prayed for him. Well, Chavi and his church in Barcelona, they had uh, designed an outreach an outreach that was for us to help participate with. So a a big church in Spain, an evangelical church, maybe has 100 people. Um, This church plan is about 60 people, and they wanted to reach out to their neighbors and their community. So they designed this program called Talk to Me. It was an English intensive, a, a chance for the people in the neighborhood, the community, to come in and practice their English with native English speakers. We have some skills. We can speak English. Um, So they came in day by day for a whole week. There was about 30 of them in the class, and it was great. So the church was able to make 30 new friends and build some relationships, and we got to speak English. And one of the things they um, cautioned us on was the use of idioms. They said, use them. Uh, They love to know what our idioms are, but make sure you explain what they mean so they can understand. So the forest for the trees, what does that mean? What does missing the forest for the trees mean? Well, it means that our tendency often is to look at the immediate, the detail right in front of us. So we see that and we miss the big picture. We miss the overarching thing because we're so focused on the the small thing. Well, I want to uh, ask this question. Is there a big picture? Is there an overarching theme that all 66 books of the Bible build towards? Is there something that ties everything together? Not just one book, not just this verse, but what's the big picture? What is the plot of the Bible? Well, I would propose this. I think there is. I think there's something that is built through all Scripture, and that is this. God's mission to redeem his people from every nation, from all peoples. God's overarching purpose, the plot of the Bible, is his redemptive purpose. People from every nation. So this doesn't just show up here in Psalm 67. It's throughout all of Scripture. But it's stated clear in verse 1 and 2, right? God says... Uh, he, or the psalmist says that God is gracious to us. He blesses us. He makes his face shine upon us so that his way may be known on the earth. His salvation, saving power among all nations. So that all nations, that saving power in the whole earth, that's God's purpose. Worship, like I experienced that Saturday afternoon in my room by myself. That awe, that realization that he is worth everything. God wants that. He deserves that from the whole earth. Well, I want to kind of give a flyby through some scripture and highlight that this purpose 
It's God's purpose from the very beginning. From Genesis to Revelation, this is God's purpose. Worshippers from every nation. So we're going to look at a few verses. In fact, Scripture, there's over 1,600 verses that refer to this purpose. But somehow, that's the forest, and we've missed it for the trees. So let's look at a few verses. Um, in Genesis 1, 28, right at the beginning of the Bible, right at creation, God tells Adam, here's what I want you to do. Here's the purpose. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So God wanted Adam to fill the earth with his families, his descendants. So there was a physical component to this, people populating the globe, but there's also a spiritual component. To subdue the earth includes this worship. So God, right here in Genesis 1, before the fall, he gives a purpose. Fill the earth. Fill it with worshipers. Well, you know what happens? Adam um, falls, Eve, things go badly, and um, all of a sudden we find ourselves um, in Genesis chapter 9 and Noah and the flood, right? The whole earth is flooded, and Noah, when he comes out of the ark, God restates the same purpose. The same one he gave to Adam, he gives to Noah. It says right there in, in Genesis 9-1, God told him, when you come out of the ark, to fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Just a chapter or two later in Genesis 11, we have uh, an amazing historic event. Babel happens, right? So before Genesis 11, and this is the introduction of the Bible, you have one language, one people, one language. God given uh, the mission to Adam. He repeated the mission to Noah. But what happens in Babel, the people say, hey, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's not be scattered. Let's not fill the earth. Let's come together and make a name for ourselves. And God says, that's not the deal. At that moment, nations were created. He confused their language, and he scattered them around the whole earth. So Babel was a demarcation in God's way of getting worship from the whole earth. Before that, one nation, one language. After that, many nations, many languages, people from the whole globe. Well, the very next chapter, we see God starting to do a new thing with Abraham. So in Genesis 12, you see the Abrahamic call and the covenant. God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. And he tells Abraham, in you... All the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the nations. So God tells Abraham, it's not just for you, it's all the nations. Well, right after that, Abraham, his son Isaac, Isaac had a vision and he heard the Lord repeat the same promise. And that is that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. After Abraham, Isaac, then you get Jacob. Jacob's uh, heard the same thing. Jacob was a dreamer, right? Jacob, in his dream, he heard God repeat the promise to him, and the same words were said. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. God's heart in Genesis is a big picture. It's that he would receive worship from all the nations, all the peoples. Well, then the nation of Israel happens, right? So Joseph is one of Jacob's sons. He goes into Egypt, and all 12 of the tribes start to develop. 400 years later, they're enslaved in Egypt. 
And God raises up Moses to bring the Israelites out. And Moses tells Pharaoh what God told him to say. And he says to Pharaoh, the people are going to come out. All the plagues, even you, Pharaoh, are for this purpose, that all the nations, all the peoples of the earth will know the hand of the Lord is mighty. Um, And so that your name will be proclaimed on the earth. So then after Moses takes the exodus, takes them out, he doesn't get to take them into the promised land. The next guy up is Joshua, right? Joshua gets to lead them into the promised land to remove those inhabitants that are there. And God tells him the similar thing. As they conquer the land, as they move in, he says um, that all the peoples of the earth will know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. These are stories that we've known and heard in the Bible our whole life, right? I love the next story, David and Goliath. We've all known that story. David conquers the giant. But how has that story been tied into God's global purpose? When we teach it to our kids in Sunday school, are we reminding them of God's grand plan? Because look what David says right after he defeats Goliath. He's standing up and David says, All the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. So David understood God's global purpose. It wasn't just for the Israelites. It was for all the earth. After Daniel, I mean, after uh, David, you have Solomon. His son, he got to build the temple. And as the temple was complete, Solomon was praying his prayer to dedicate the temple. He's referring to foreigners as it relates to the temple. And Solomon prays the same prayer, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. They understood God's global purpose. You flip forward to Daniel, and you see some of our favorite Bible stories, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. God rescues them out of the furnace, and the king, Nebuchadnezzar, writes a letter, and he sends it out to all the land. And this kingdom was the kingdom in the earth at that time. And so when they sent a letter... It goes out to all the peoples of the earth. It says specifically, any people of any nation and language. And then the next king is up, Darius, and Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. And when he is rescued, Darius again writes this letter out to all the people, all the nations, and all the languages. So the theme, this plot of God redeeming a people... It's in Genesis, and it works its way throughout all of Scripture. Even Jonah and the whale, as we tell this story, do we tell them that God sent Jonah from his country to another nation, to Nineveh? It was the biggest city in the world at that time. And God's heart was that Jonah would go there and call them to repentance. So God's heart from the very beginning has been about all nations all peoples, every person to come to know him, to worship him. You know, there's something in every book of the Bible that we could sit down and look at that would reflect that heart of God's. 1,600 verses. Even Psalms, where we are in this pursuit of wisdom, one-third of the Psalms, 50 of the 150 Psalms, all refer to the nations and God's heart for all peoples. Well, let's look back um, at our Psalm 67. We're only halfway through the Bible. But I want to uh, read together verses 3 to 5. This is the heart of the psalm. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. 
Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. It's repeated a lot. God's heart to receive praise and worship from all peoples. So how are we doing? Here we are in 2017. In fact, the nations aren't all glad. All the peoples aren't praising him. We're in a spot where what the psalmist is asking for has not yet come to pass. But I use that word, and it's in this, let the nations be glad. That word nations, I I said it so many times through the Old Testament. I want to make sure that we understand what nations mean. And in order to do that, we're going to look at one common verse in the New Testament. Actually, there are five commissionings, one in each of the Gospels and Acts. But the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19, let's read together. It uses that same word, nations. It says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That word nations, the Greek for that is ethne. Ethne. It sounds really close to our English word, ethnic. Ethnic group. So whenever you read in Scripture nations, or you read about the peoples of the earth, you read uh, in the New Testament, often it's translated Gentiles. All of those mostly are the same word, and you can think ethnic group, an ethnic people group. That's what it's talking about. So the Great Commission tells us that we are to go and make disciples of all ethnic groups, all people groups. So uh, in order to help us understand this, I want to show you Nigeria. Nigeria, a country in Africa, it's one country. Nigeria is one geopolitical state. But within that one country, there are, what, 538 individual people groups, 538 nations within Nigeria. So a people group is a word we like to use in the missions world. Um, And I want to make sure that we understand that, define that. But as you see about people groups, the gospel is the thing that flows easily within a people group. So the reason we even care and are interested in people groups is because that's how the gospel can flow. So one of the uh, illustrations that makes sense is the illustration of syrup on pancakes or waffles, right? So syrup, like the gospel, it flows, but it flows on a waffle square by square by square. And that's the way people groups work. The gospel only flows across a people group until it reaches uh, an ethnic boundary. So that's how we would define a people group. It's the largest grouping of people that the gospel can flow without encountering an ethnic barrier. So what's an ethnic barrier? What are the things that distinguish people groups? Sometimes they're very similar, but sometimes they're very different. So one people group can be a neighboring people group and have a completely different language. They can have completely different cultural norms their family structures, their um, trading practices, the way their culture works can be very different than the culture next door. So they're different people groups divided by language or any other ethnic boundary. Does this make sense? You're tracking with me? So in the missions world, we want to know how many people groups are on the planet. Um, Most organizations have different ways of calculating this, but the 
guessed, and the, the way we use it in, with Joshua Project, we estimate there are 16,800 people groups. 16,800 people groups on the planet today. So we understand what a people group is. I want to help us define uh, in the missions world what we call an unreached people group. So we know what people groups are. An unreached people group is a people group that has less than 2% evangelical Christ followers. 2% isn't a, a magic number, but it's a number that if a population of a people group gets over 2%, then we think there's a good possibility that an indigenous or a local church of believers, of Christ followers, they can support themselves and they can reach out to their neighbors, the rest of their people group. The church can grow and expand if there's that 2% um, population. So you could ask this question. We know there's 16,800 people groups. How many unreached people groups are there? Well, just a little under 7,000, right? 6,956. 41% um, of the people groups that exist today are unreached. That means, remember, that they do not have a church that's big enough in that people group to be able to support themselves and to reach out to the other people in their people group. 16,000, almost 7,000 are unreached. There's one other uh, distinction that I want to make. It, I don't have a slide for it, but listen to me. You've got to follow along with this. There is a, another group of people that we call unengaged, unreached people groups. A UUPG. Are you following with me? An unengaged, unreached people group. That means that there are no Christians in that people group. There are not even any missionaries trying to reach that people group. So this group of people in the world today, totally unengaged, totally without a church presence, without any Christians in them. How many are there of the unreached people groups? Just about 3,000 of the people groups. In 2017, sitting today, there are people on our planet that will be born, they will live, grow, and they will die old people without ever meeting a person who knows a person who's a Christian. So in our day and age, there's unreached, unengaged people groups. There are about 7,000 unreached people groups. Well, where are these people groups? Oh, I need to go back and explain one thing I skipped. Um, one of the ways to help us think about categories of unreached people groups is their belief system, right? So the people that are unreached, they're not unreached in a vacuum. Most of the people that are unreached, they have a belief structure. And the way we can remember that is through an acronym called THUMB. T-H-U-M-B. So THUMB, the way we can know this is there are a lot of unreached people groups that are T, tribal. They are the people groups that are animistic. They worship objects in nature. Um, the H stands for Hindu people groups. U stands for unreligious. So these are the people um, that have been in communist China or Russia. Um, sometimes in post-Christian Europe, they would be classified as unreligious. M, Muslim. There's a huge, one of the largest uh, groupings is Muslim uh, unreached people groups. And then the, the last B is Buddhist. So THUMB is an acronym that helps us categorize 
the unreached people groups. Now, where are these people groups? Um, they are in an area called the 1040 window. So what that means on the map is uh, 10 degrees latitude up to 40 degrees latitude. That band, starting in Africa, North Africa, all the way across the Middle East, through India, China, and all the way to Indonesia on the, in the ocean. And, and you know, Indonesia is the country that has the largest population of Muslims. Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. So that band across the middle of the world, the 1040 window, that's where the majority of the unreached people groups live. Four to five people groups that exist today that are unreached are in that band. That's where we need to focus. Um, so here's the question. What about the resources we have to put towards reaching unreached people groups? Two statistics, two figures. The first is people. The people that are missionaries that are trying to take the gospel to unreached people, people groups. Um, that figure is one out of ten. So out of every ten missionaries that go, one of them would go to the unreached people group. Ninety percent of missionaries today go to countries that are already reached. They go to ministries that are already in reached countries. Finances. What about finances? Less than one penny of every dollar that's given in the church, less than one penny of that would go to targeting church planting and unreached people groups. So the resources that we have were not the church at large is not focusing them on the unreached people groups. But I want to take a second and tell you about your church, Bethel Bible Church. Where do we sit on this? Well, we've known um, these facts. They're not new. They've been growing. It's been about um, 10, 15 years ago, as a church, we came together and said from the mission side, what can we focus on? How can we help the nations to be glad and all the peoples praise him? And we decided to focus in three areas. The first area of focus is unreached people groups. So any missionaries, new missionaries that come to Bethel, people that we support, they're going to be working in unreached people group areas. The second strategy is church planting. So those missionaries, ministries that are about church planting, particularly in unreached people groups, that's our wheelhouse. We want to be about that. And the third strategy is a little bit different. The third strategy that Bethel uses is international students. So did you know that in the U.S. right now there's over a million international students? Even here in Tyler, at UT Tyler, there's several hundred international students that are here. And you know where most of the students at UT Tyler are from? India. India is the country in the world that has the largest number of unreached people groups. There's more unreached people groups than India by far than any other country. And guess what? They're coming to UT Tyler to go to school. So it's a great strategy for us to try and help reach out to unreached people groups as they come to our doorstep. So your church strategizes and says, how can we effectively reach out to the unreached? How can we effectively be about church planting? And how can we reach international students? So one of the stories I want to uh, tell you is about our partnership in Sierra Leone. So you may know, um, if you've been around Bethel for any time, that we have a, a big partnership there. Um, for the last eight or nine years, we've been active in Sierra Leone. Um, today, in fact, in Sierra Leone, they're having a baptismal service too. Their tub is a little different than our tub, 
But they're baptizing uh, today 25 new believers. 15 of those are from a particular church that we have helped plant in a people group called the Timne. So Timne is one of the people groups in Sierra Leone. So Sierra Leone is one country. Within Sierra Leone, there are 30 different people groups. When we started working in Sierra Leone uh, about 10 years ago, there were 13 of those 30 that were unreached. Today, there are 11. One of the groups that used to be an unreached people group that today is considered reached is the Timne. So the Timne, they have a million five hundred and seventy-three thousand people in Sierra Leone. They used to be unreached. They're a Muslim people group, but they have three percent evangelical believers. We are baptizing fifteen Timne today into our church, and our hope is that that church can continue to grow and they can reach out to a sister tribe. There's another tribe in Sierra Leone, one of the eleven remaining unreached. That's called the Timne Banta, B-A-N-T-A. And that group is separate than the Timne. There's about 60,000 of that group, and they have no known church in them, no Christians, zero in the Timne Banta. So our strategy as a church is what we hope is happening is that as we plant churches in Sierra Leone, as we grow churches, we can give them a vision to reach the other unreached people groups within their country. That's what you can pray for, for us. Um, another church uh, missionary couple that you may remember, the Adairs, they are working in Japan, church planning right now. They're one of our missionary families. Japan is the second largest people group, 125 million Buddhist Japanese. There is less than 2%, it's less than 1% evangelicals in Japan. But our family, the Adairs, are there working, planting churches. So you can know your church. We have, um, right now, three or four different missionaries, ministries that are working within that 1040 window. And we have nine different families that are actively planting churches around the globe. That's what we feel God has called us to do, to be strategic. Well, let's finish up this psalm. Looking back at Psalm 67, the last two verses, Psalm 6 and se- uh, verse 6 and 7. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let the ends of the earth fear him. All the ends of the earth to fear him. How is that going to happen? I want to remind you of uh, one of my favorite quotes. It's by John Piper. John Piper says, Missions exist because worship doesn't. Right? Missions exist because worship doesn't doesn't. Missions is not ultimate. Missions isn't the goal. Worship is. Just like for me in my room on that Saturday afternoon, worship from the whole earth, that's the goal. Um, But Paul, the Apostle Paul, asked a great question in Romans chapter 10. He says, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how can they believe on whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And how can they preach unless they are sent? So, church, God has blessed us. God has blessed us in order that we can be a blessing to the ends of the earth. We want to be a part as a church and as people in this church with God's wisdom of proclaiming 
his praise among the nations. Like Psalm 96 says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. So when will the nations be glad? When will they praise the Lord? The disciples had the same question. In Matthew 24, 3, they asked Jesus, What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered them in 24, uh, 14. He says, Jesus, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So when will the end come? When will the nations truly be glad? When will it be peoples praising him? It's when the gospel and syrup waffle by syrup waffle has expanded over this whole globe. And truly, there are worshipers praising him from every corner of this earth. Well, coming up this semester is the Perspectives course. And I would highly recommend it. Perspectives is a course, it's a semester course, 15 weeks. Um, we've hosted it here. We're a partner church in bringing it. And one of the things that we say in Perspectives um, you can find out more information about Perspectives in the bulletin or it's online. But one of the things that we say in Perspectives is that worship is the goal of missions. It's the goal and the fuel of missions. Worship is the goal and the fuel of missions. So the more we know and love God, the more we worship and adore him, the more we raise him up, the more we're going to proclaim him among the nations. And the more we're going to proclaim him to our neighbors. So one of the things that we've asked us all to be a part of this summer at Bethel is the SALT project. We'd love it if you would magnify God with your neighbor. You would invite someone over to your house for a meal and just share with them your life. Get to know them. Build a friend for the kingdom. Let me wrap up. Application and our obedience to the Great Commission our partnership with God's global purpose, with the plot of the entire Bible, the motivation for that is worship. It's not guilt. Guilt is never a sustainable motivation. It's worship. It's the central plot of Scripture, God's redeeming purpose. As Habakkuk 2 says, the day is coming when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So let me ask the three last questions. And this is it. The first question is this. Are you willing to say yes to God? To put your yes on the table? So, God, no matter what you say, yes. I'm willing to go anywhere you want me to go. I'm willing to do anything you want me to do. So that's the first question. Are you willing to put your yes on the table and see what God wants for you? Here's the second question. Are you willing to do whatever it is you do? So let's say you're a medical professional. Let's say you're a teacher. Let's say you work in the oil and gas business. Let's say you're a businessman, an entrepreneur. You're whatever you are, retired even. Are you willing to do what you do in another culture, in another context? Are you willing to speak English? Go do what you do where there are no Christians. Be a part of a church plant and love Jesus some other context. That's the second question. The last question is this. Are you willing to commit 
to pray for the nations, to find out what are the unreached people groups that Bethel missionaries are working in? What are the unengaged, unreached people groups that I could pray for? So are you willing to pray for the nations? Are you willing to go on a short-term mission trip? Go for two weeks. Go for a year. Take a year and commit to go and see where God wants you. Or maybe God's calling you to move long-term to serve him overseas in an unreached area. And then the last question, uh, or that is the last question. So, is your yes on the table? Are you willing to do what you do in another context? And then will you pray, go, and give financially, strategically to the unreached? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the chance to be uh, a part of Bethel Bible Church where we can engage in your heart for the nations. Lord, thank you that you are doing things and you are drawing people to yourself from every tribe and tongue and nation. And we know it's going to happen. We know what Revelation says, that there will be worshipers. There will be people from every part of this globe that love you, that serve you, that worship you. So would you help us as your people to be sensitive, to learn, to pray, to give, to go, to be a people that are about your purpose, your grand overarching plan, worshipers from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We thank you for your love and your care for us. We trust you, and we want to be your people in Jesus.